Well, hey there, freaks. It's your boy Marty Ben here to introduce this week's episode of Tales from the Crypt. I reconnected with an old coworker from Barstool Sports to sit down and talk about China, believe it or not. Uh, I sat down with the Wonton Don, a.k.a. Donnie Does, who is Barstool's chief foreign correspondent living in Shanghai, uh, to get uh, some information on China. China is a subject that I speak and write about a lot in the po- on the podcast and in the newsletter, and I thought it was time I actually got somebody in the studio who's lived in China and has uh, an in-person perspective to share um, with, with you freaks. Uh, so for you, those of you freaks that don't know, Donnie is putting out some incredible comedic content, uh, mainly based out of China, and he's actually traveling the world. He's got some content coming out of Zimbabwe, uh, from Zimbabwe uh, over the next couple of months, so definitely check that out, and then go check out his back catalog of content uh, throughout the years. Uh, he does an incredible job of creating uh, or not really creating empathy, but you know, just giving a view of what it's like to live in different parts of the world. And again, specifically China. We had a great conversation. I think you guys are going to like it. Uh, it's pretty eye-opening. Tales from the Crypt, this episode of Tales from the Crypt, excuse me, more specifically, is brought to you by the Cash App. As you freaks know, Cash App is the simplest way to send and save money. And now it's the simplest way to try to grow your money. Introducing Cash App Investing. Unlike investing tools that only let you buy entire shares of a stonk, Cash App lets you instantly invest as little or as much as you want. This way, when your favorite company's stonk is just a little too expensive, you can still own a piece with as little as $1. And as always, you do not have to stack the stonks if you don't want to. You can stack sats still. You can send sats. You can receive sats. Uh, and ignore the stonks if you want to. But they are there if you want them. And because Cash App is directly connected to your bank account, there are no four to five day waiting periods for inbound transfers. So you can start investing today. Brokerage services are provided by Cash App Investing, a subsidiary of Square, a member SIPC. As always, when you sign up, if you have not si- signed up yet, if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't signed up yet, what's wrong with you? Number one. Number two, use the code StackingSats. It's one word, S-T-A-C-K-I-N-G-S-A-T-S. Uh, you're going to get $10, and Cash App will send $10 to our friends at Owls Lacrosse. Not that dirtbag owl, that scammer owl, Owls Lacrosse. Download Cash App from the App Store or Google Store Play today and enjoy this episode with the Wonton Don. Okay. What is up, freaks? It's your boy Marty Ben here on a Wednesday night drinking Pinot Noir with the Wonton Don. I'd like to introduce you, freaks. Hey, how are you? <laughs> I was waiting for that. Hey, how are you? Oh, yeah. Um, for those of you freaks that don't know, Donnie is Barstool's foreign correspondent. Yes. Um, I hit him up, one, because I love your content. You're one of my favorite content producers at Barstool. Uh, two, because I'm uh, infinitely curious to get your perspective because you have a very unique perspective in my mind. You put out unique content based on that perspective. And uh, this comes from the fact that you live in China, in Shanghai. Um, and here on this podcast, we talk a lot about... Um, we have been talking a lot about China and Hong Kong in particular recently um, uh, pertaining to like uh, digital privacy and stuff like that and surveillance in the digital age. Uh, before, before we get into all that, I'm just curious to learn more about your story. Uh, you did not take uh, the typical paths. You've taken a path that many have not. You moved to China. You're making content out there. Uh, how the hell did you end up in Shanghai? Uh, I had a friend from college who went abroad to Shanghai and he loved it so much that he just like 
stayed in the country, just chose like not to come back to college. And he was the year below me. So around the same time that he was deciding to just stay in China, I was graduating from college and had no idea what I wanted to do. Didn't want to jump straight into a nine to five. And he was like, you should come out to China. There's a lot of job opportunities. You can travel. Like I'm doing this like party. Like he had just started this party, um, like this events organizing company. Um, and he was like, you can help out with that. And so that was like, all right, I'll just move out to China for 10 months, travel on the weekends and the holidays, and then uh, head back to the U.S. and jump into more of like a full-time career. Uh, but I just loved it out there, met a lot of good friends, found some opportunities, and ended up staying for like seven years. <laughs> I was going to say, how long have you been out there? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I graduated college in 2010, and I've pretty much been in China since. Um, although at one point I was like, I was back in the U.S. for maybe a year and a half, but yeah, I've been out there for a while. Was it a, was it something uh, sort of out of the uh, ordinary for you to do to get up and leave to China? Is that like, are you, are you um, a big traveler before this or was this like a- I've always loved to travel. I hadn't done a ton of it, but um, I've never been like someone who's been super like, cautious of traveling or afraid of traveling it's it's definitely something i've always wanted to do yeah no no i mean shanghai is like a big change so going from where did you go to college i went to tufts actually. okay yeah, yeah. yeah um so like yeah i lived up until moving to china i lived my whole life in massachusetts um grew up in like a small town in mass then went to college in boston and um yeah so it was definitely a change of pace because once you start traveling, you realize Boston is comparatively a very small city. Yes, very yeah. small city. And for you freaks that don't know Tufts, very good D3 Lex. Yeah, where like the whole city is pretty much just dead by 2 a.m. But then you move out to Shanghai where the cities just in China will go will go all night. And like then like there, I went through like one phase where I was going to the after hours places too. So I remember there was one like New Year's morning where I left the club at 12.30 p.m. the following day. And it's just like, oh, my God. That didn't, and the sun just hit me like a sack of bricks. What was the initial culture shock like when you first got out there? Um, the culture shock was rough at first. because So I was just teaching English my first year out there. And the company I was doing it for was like, hey, you'll be working like downtown in the city and you'll have some other roommates who are also foreign teachers. And then they put me in this apartment by myself in the middle of bumblefuck nowhere in China um, when I couldn't even speak a word of English. Um, and this was my first year. I wasn't living in the same city as my friends. So like, I didn't even know a single person in the city. Uh, and that was rough. Like I was, I remember like I called my parents and was like, yeah, I'm probably going to leave China. <laughs> like I, like I was like, yeah, this is not going to work. But I met some friends from Liverpool, actually, uh, okay. on one of my first like weekends in the city. And at that point, I was living so far outside of the city that there wasn't even a like a subway line that. So I would have to just wait until the buses started running again at six in the morning. So I like I already knew I would have to be out all night, and just ended up meeting these dudes from Liverpool. And one of them sort of took me under his wing and kind of showed me the ropes in China a bit. And so that's what convinced you to stay. A yeah. And so, yeah. So once I kind of made all of those friends, I was like, I'm having fun. 
Uh, and that was in Guangzhou, which is uh, not too far from Hong Kong. And then my second year, like the main reason I'd moved out there was to live in uh, Shanghai. And so then for my second year, I moved up and was living with uh, a friend from college. And he already had a lot of friends up there. So when I moved up to Shanghai, I kind of had, like, I was making friends right off the bat. How easy is it for, for expats to get jobs out there? Uh, if, if you're looking for a teaching job, it's super easy. Um, it's starting to get, a, a, like, a little more tough because they had an incident where, like, someone on, a, like, he was on the U.S.'s most wanted list. <laughs> Top 10 most wanted and he was working as a teacher in Shanghai like for 10 years because <laughs> it's the most absurd thing ever. And it turned out, I, once I found out, it turned out that I was actually in a group chat with this guy at one point. And but, even like in the group chat, I was like, this dude is a psychopath. What was he wanted for? Um, I think he like murdered his wife after he had molested his daughter or something Jesus like that. He was a cop in South Carolina who had like touched like a young girl and then murdered his wife Fuck. and then flew to Mexico and then flew from Mexico to Shanghai. And the only reason he, he got caught, started working as a teacher in Shanghai. The only reason he got caught is one of his former, uh, one of his former students moved to the U S and was just looking at America's most wanted, like in her free time for fun. I don't know like who actually does that, but, and then saw like her former teacher. Damn, fuck. It was like, oh, that guy used to teach that dude me. Thought he was, that dude thought he was safe. Yeah, I guess he had, he had already remarried. Like, he had remarried a Chinese woman. And he had a daughter who he named, like, after the wife that, that he had killed. Oh, that's fucked up. It's su- <laughs> super dark shit. And what I, happened to him? I assume he's in jail now. Yeah. Um, I don't know if... Was he extradited? Yeah, I wonder he... if he's in jail in China or if China gave him back to the U.S. Yeah, uh, I have no idea. I just know so there was a like a a big group chat on uh, WeChat that I, that I was in. It was pretty much I think the name of the group was just like was just Americans in China, and I he went by the name the Big Dog in that group. <laughs> it was around the time of the election and i just remember he would get like so heated up like we would just be talking about politics and he would get super heated up about trump i think he was he was a big he was a big trump guy but um even if we were just having a casual conversation like not trying to start a fight he would go on these like long insane rants social cues he might be uh, an axe murderer yeah, and I remember being like asking someone else in the group, like, "What's wrong with this dude? Like, dude, why does he get so worked up?" And he was like, "You know what? You just have to meet him in person. In person, he's like, he's a pretty chill guy. He just gets like easily worked up. But, but don't worry, he's actually like a very chill guy. And it turns out that he is not a chill guy. <laughs> he's on fucking America's Most Wanted. <laughs> he's an axe murderer, the big dog. It's just an online persona. You meet yeah. him in person, he's nice. Yes, <laughs> they're like, yeah. I think he was." Big into uh, big into uh, MMA as well. Okay, yeah. As uh, as um, a lot of men are these days. Yeah. Uh, so what's it like? But uh, yeah, so it, now they do background checks like for jobs and stuff, and like teaching English is that's like the job you can get if you don't speak a word of Chinese. But I do have friends that like work 
in all sorts of jobs. Just usually those, if you're working in China, it, it will help a lot if you can at least have like a basic, uh, if you can speak basic conversational Chinese. Yeah, and that's what, the next thing I was going to ask. Like, you've learned a bit of Mandarin, right? Like, how how good's your Mandarin? Yeah, my Mandarin's not great. I can speak conversational. Like, I'm, I probably speak at the level of like a ten year old, or even younger, just because. Like right off the bat, I made a lot of friends who speak uh, like pretty proficient Chinese, and then my jobs never re- required me to speak that much. So I did like I hired a tutor out there for a bit, um, but then when I started working f- for Barstool, I really didn't have to speak that much. And then Shanghai, just in general, is probably the hardest place in China to learn because there's so many foreigners. Uh, you know, you're going out to foreign restaurants and bars and shit like that where like everybody there will be speaking english Mm -hmm. um and then like with all of the apps out there my first year i always had to talk to the taxi drivers in chinese and so it was important you at least could like say some words and then they came out with the uber of china and then they had they came out with an uh, an english version of that um so now it's like if I want to go somewhere around the city, you just put in the address uh, and a guy shows up and drives you there and you don't actually have to say a word of Chinese. Yeah, well, that's one thing I really want to get into is like what, what are, so is that WeChat uh, Alipay that you're ordering that from? Or uh, That's there... an app called Didi. Okay. And they actually, so there used to be, there used to be Uber in China and then Didi bought out, bought out Uber. Okay. Um, but... WeChat was huge. So my WeChat, uh, it wasn't around my first year in China, maybe my second year in China. And then all of a sudden my friends was like, yeah, I use this like to talk to my family back home, to talk to all my friends. And I was just sending text messages. And he was like, no, with this, you can just send a voice message. Um, and I was like, that's insane. So I downloaded that and it really just, it, it changed, it changed everything um, just on like how you communicate with with people because you can translate like right um yeah and that was like a new feature that maybe came out three years ago um but wechat's nuts like now you there's not like a thing you can't do on it um you know and it changed so i i told you i moved back to the u.s at one point this was maybe 2015 2016 and when i came back i was only gone for a year when i came back to china it changed and you could pretty much pay for like for there wasn't a place in China where you couldn't use WeChat to pay for something. Um, and so, yeah, even if you're at a small like mom and pop like convenience store or if you're at a giant shopping mall, you can use WeChat to pay for things. You can use it to buy movie tickets. Um, you can use it to it's it kind of combines a lot of the like it combines most of the apps we use in the u.s all into one app yeah and like can't you like pay bills from it yeah um train tickets all that train tickets what's the uh what's the ux flow of buying something like if you go to a mom and pop shop are you, are you scanning a qr code or yeah you it's all based off of qr codes okay and most of those places you can also use alipay i haven't been using alipay um, but most places will take either wechat or alipay so as an American in China, do you have to set up like a Chinese bank account? How are you? Um, yeah, I like, I have an account that I don't really use, but I think you do need at least 
um, like a card to use WeChat, although they may have just changed it in the past six months that now you can link a US card to it. Um, but it, it was crazy. It even used to be, I used to just be able to walk outside and wave a taxi. And even in that year I was gone, it's now only done through the app. So you can't even like wave a taxi there anymore. You almost like have to use the app. Well, that's, that's another crazy thing about how fast things happen in China. Like you see crazy yeah. videos of, uh, like Chinese construction crews putting up bridges over the course of like 24 hours. And mm-hmm. so what's, what, what, what is it in? Cause they work, they work on two shifts. They have like two 12 hour shifts when they're doing construction. Okay. So it's like they have people working during the day for 12 hours and then they go off and there's a new crew working the rest of the night. So it's just constantly being built. And so that's like been the story in China, like the last few decades, right? Is the emergence of the middle class, the farmers moving to the cities and, yeah. um, basically the Chinese economy, the China, the Chinese government stimulating that growth and incentivizing yeah. that. And that's like one, another thing that I'm very interested to get your perspective on. If you know anything about it, like well, I've read books about it and stories about it, like just like uh, ghost towns that are, that are built like replicas of other cities that have nobody living in them. Um, yeah. They're essentially just uh, towns that were built to um, put economic activity on the balance sheet. Yeah, those exist for sure. Uh, like in Shanghai and Beijing, it, it's not that bad because those places have been growing so fast that they'll make these new buildings and maybe no one will live in them for two or three years. But then like as the city grows, eventually people will move in. But when I'm taking the train around the country, you go through some areas and it's clear that like this whole, like there's like, yeah, a whole just section of high rises that were maybe built five, 10 years ago and still no one has moved in. Yeah. Nuts. Um, I haven't like explored those, but it's definitely happening and, and people are worried because of the bubble, you know, if you just keep on building and building, but what do you, what do you mean by that? Are like Chinese people worried about that or I think, I think the government is worried. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you say that? Um, because so like, I don't really know, the economics behind it, but they want to keep on building and building because it just like shows growth. Right. Mm -hmm. But then if no one ever moves into these places, they never make back like any of the money. Then I don't, then like, isn't that, isn't that a bubble that will collapse at some point? I don't know. I mean, it's essentially what led to 2008. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I have no idea. No. And it's, I mean, that's what my, my theory is. Yes. That's, but I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't, I've never been to China. That's one thing. Like I've written about China story. I've written about stories that have been written about China's financial system and I've heard stuff, but I, I've never been on the ground myself and I've never talked to too many people who have lived there that long. And that's, and again, like another thing that I, I really wanted to talk to you about is like, you seem to have completely immersed yourself in this culture and love the culture from at least what I can tell um, yeah. from your videos. I do, yeah, no, I do love the culture. I mean, but also in Shanghai, like Shanghai almost has its own culture in a way because it's a mix of a bunch, a bunch of different cultures because you go out for a night there and you can meet people from all over the world. Mm-hmm. And then I know the foreigners that live up in Beijing, they might even be more ingrained so in Chinese culture. So like in Shanghai, when you're talking to a Chinese person, they might try to use some of 
their broken English. But when you're up in Beijing, you're talking to a Chinese person, their attitude is like, hey, you're a foreigner in my country, so you should be talking to me in Chinese. Okay. Um, but so, but that's the thing I, I enjoy about Shanghai is that you can still have a very authentically Chinese experience if you want it. And then, you know, if you're in the mood for some uh, incredible Mexican food per se, like you can find that as well. Yeah. You can go to like a club that will be filled of, filled of Colombians or something like that. <laughs> really? Yeah. It's, um, but uh, yeah, but WeChat, it definitely like it transformed the country. It was, it was kind of like the first thing I saw that, that China was doing that was ahead of the curve in the U S because a lot of the things, a lot of the apps you'll see in China are just like a blatant copy of an app that has taken off back in the U S so their version of Uber, it was just a copy of Uber, but with WeChat, like there were just, so many things I could do on WeChat that like now I can do with apps in the U S but that like for a while you couldn't even send voice messages like on U S apps. Um, and it's even, you know how now on Twitter and everything, everybody loves to, um, post GIFs. Yeah. Like, yeah, like yeah. that was like huge in China, a good, like five years before it blew up here. Like on WeChat, the friends would always be posting GIFs or sending them back and forth, and uh, it really didn't didn't catch on in the U.S. till f- three years later. Yeah, no, it's um, that's the fascinating thing about it too. And then, yeah. so do you see it as a double edged sword though? You have like this thing, uh, you have everything in your hand at your fingertips, but things like WeChat in particular, like aren't. Is, isn't the government using that for like their social credit system too? Like if you... Apparently, so foreigners haven't really been like, they're not on the social credit system. So I haven't seen that. Yeah. And like, I, I am sure that the government, if they wanted to, they could read like, like all of the messages I've sent on WeChat. So I have some friends that will be like very careful not to say certain words like... Like recently with the Hong Kong protest, I was in one group and they're like, Hey, let's like, please don't talk about that thing. And they were like afraid to talk about it. I've never been too scared. And like, um, I've never been too worried about what I say. Cause I was like, Oh, the Chinese government probably has like larger fish to fry than like me talking to my friend about like weed on WeChat. So I don't know. I've never been too scared, but uh, I think for sure there probably have been people that have been like talking about the wrong thing on WeChat and it, like they've been tracked down or they've been kicked off the app. I don't know. Do you talk to, to like uh, your Chinese friends who are on the app who are subjected to that? Like do they have a, are they, did they ever talk about the social credit system or anything like that? Um, no, because the social credit system right now is just a series of pilot programs, and like mm-hmm. it's not fully in place around the country. Um, but the the goal is to have it fully in place soon. So I haven't had my Chinese friends like complaining about it yet. Does that scare you though? Like being an expat there? Um, no, not really. Like some things are sort of scary being out there. Um, and I think maybe it's more motivated because of the trade war that mm-hmm. like. China's trying to crack down on foreigners more. Um, like they'll do these raids, which they've kind of slowed down. But for a while, they were doing these raids where they would roll into just random clubs and bars at like 
2 a.m. and just make all the foreigners pee in a cup and like test them for weed. Um, and so I know people who have been kicked out of the country for that. And I think that's just like, that's their way of just trying to like, you know, I don't know, like get more foreigners to leave the country. Yeah. No, and that's why I wanted to talk to you. This is like, I'm, I've heard like stories of people like, yeah, don't go to China. Like you'll, you'll go there. You'll get sent to a gulag and like you No, I mean, yeah. Like all my friends who have gotten in trouble, the punishment has just been, they've just been asked to leave the country. And they're probably not allowed back for maybe five years. Yeah. Um, and then I know like someone who was caught like with with uh, cocaine on him, and he <laughs> was he was teaching at a kindergarten at the time, and like was called into the visa office, and there were and there were police there waiting for him, and so they tested his pee; it tested positive for cocaine. And then I think they found a bag on him too, but. He was, so he was only sent to jail for 13 days and then was like allowed to go back to his job. Whoa. And I'm like, if you did that in the US, I think the punishment would be like more severe. If you were like teaching at a kindergarten and like had even, cocaine on you. Even if you're just in a school zone with cocaine. Yeah, if you're in like a school <laughs> zone. So I, I, sometimes I'm like, damn, that does not seem like super harsh. Yeah. But it's, I think the main thing, if you're caught like selling drugs, then they could be like, all right, five to 10 years, even if it's just like a small amount, then they can really crack the whip. Yeah. You're, um, you're enabling. Yeah. And then I know some things, if you ever get in a fight in China and it really doesn't matter if it's your fault or say, if you just get like attacked and so you fight back and like hurt one of the Chinese guys, like the, the judge is not going to side with you. Yeah. And so that's what happened to a football player out there. And yeah, and he hurt one of like, he got jumped at a club and then hurt one of the guys who jumped him, hurt his eye. Mm-hmm. And um, they were like, yeah, it was self-defense, but you were very aggressive. And they, he was in jail for three years. Yeah, he recently got out, right? Yeah. That was part of your Dragons Wendell Brown. too. Was uh, he played big. in that league, but he was yeah. actually in jail the season I was, that I was playing out there. That's so fucked. Yeah. And that's so yeah so like what are the things you have to be cognizant of if you're an expat and i'm and i want to be yeah, clear I mean, i'm not trying to draw like a a certain picture of china i'm just like like and i'm not so speaking it's also to you. I'm speaking yeah to freaks it's out there, changed like. a lot my first couple years out there i honestly felt like at least for foreigners there like weren't rules out there like it was very nonchalant i know people who would like smoke weed in cabs who would like walk down the street smoking weed even if there was a cop on the other side of the street because it was almost like the cops didn't really know what weed was because most chinese people didn't smoke it it wasn't like a problem amongst chinese people so i know people who just do like absurd things when i first moved out there and there was like oh there's no rules in china you can do whatever you want and then the past two, three years, they've started to like really crack down. And it's now like more of a, like a legit place in terms of rules where it's not just, you can just go out and do whatever you want. Like they're actually enforcing all the rules. Like even with smoking cigarettes, like when I first moved there, there was, there really wasn't a place in China where you weren't allowed to smoke cigarettes. You could smoke in all the clubs, all the bars. There'd be like a cop in an elevator smoking a cigarette like it was just absurd (laughs) even if there was like a five-year-old kid in the elevator he would just be like smoking a cigarette but now it's like it's like new york where you can't smoke in clubs and bars and 
the smoking ban. Yeah. This movie so it's is. now, it feels more of like a legit place now that they have rules. When you first move out there, it was like, it was just a free for all. Do rules make it more legit? I will just, it feels like it's more, because when you first move out there, you're like, oh, it's a fantasy land. And like, they wouldn't, there'd just be like, a hand job parlor on every corner and shit like that. <laughs> and it's like, what is this place? But now they're like, you know, it feels, I guess it just feels a little bit more like New York in the sense that there are rules. I mean, you're still allowed to drink on the streets. There's no, there's no open container law. I wish we could do that here. Yeah. That's one thing I um, loved about, I love about Europe traveling in Europe. Yeah. Uh, something funny about WeChat as well. There's actually, there are some homeless people now that instead of holding a, a pot for change, will be holding up a QR code. So you can just like sh- shoot them. Some, some people dollars. probably prefer that, right? Like, yeah. Like, so is cash dying in China? You, uh, oh yeah. 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 Actually. And like, and cards have really never been big out there. So yeah, now the That's majority of really. all like transactions are just done on WeChat. And that's the weird thing. In New York, you, you go to so many places, they're like, oh, we're card only. Oh, we're cash only. In China, it's like, that's never, that's never really happened to me. Because um, most people are just using WeChat. But I've never been to a place that will be like, oh, we don't. Like, every place will still uh, accept cash, though. But it's just not that common. Yeah. That's, uh, this is... Um this is a Bitcoin podcast and this is like where I step in. I was like, this is why, this is why I'm so into Bitcoin. Cause I think like it's, yeah. it's scary, right? Of like the, the government runs the money and controls the apps that all the money runs on. Yeah. Um, and so have you ever had like an instance where you tried to make a payment or it was blocked or anything like that? Or? Um, yeah, for, so there's like a limit to how much you can have on WeChat. Like at some point, like if you, send back and forth over like a hundred K a hundred thousand, um, Kwai R and B, then there's a limit to it. And eventually you have to actually like put some of it in your bank and then take it out from the bank. But I didn't, I didn't like have an active bank account. So I was, I was keeping all the cash just on my WeChat. And then eventually I just reached a limit and they were like, Oh, you can't send any more payments. Um, so then I had to go and like, uh, open up a new account so I could put the cash like into a bank and then take it out via WeChat and pay that way. Man. Fuck man. Um, yeah, something like that. But it feels like, have you noticed? Cause like I haven't spent a ton of time in the U S the past, the past couple of years, but now are mobile payments pretty widespread. Uh, or, I mean, I see a lot, I mean, here in Brooklyn, yeah, I see a lot of people using Apple pay, but we're still on the card technology. Most payments I see. Yeah. Card, I like cash. I prefer cash where I can spend it. Yeah. It, it is. That trend is happening here too, where, um, a lot of places are card only now, which is a bit annoying. Okay. We don't have, like, I wish we had QR code like, cause, like being with Bitcoin, um, using Bitcoin wallets is very QR code centric as well. And like, I, I pr- much prefer that UX, but yeah, it, um, it's, it's crazy. Cause there's probably a lot of people in the U S that just don't really know what a QR code is, right. but in China, there's probably like probably most five-year-olds in the country, like already know what a QR code is yeah. just cause it's so common and they're, they're all over the country. Well, it's just a point. You don't even yeah. have to click. You just point. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's such a better UX. Um, yeah. I think it is not common here in the U.S. I think it should be more common, but yeah. um, right now, no. 
uh, cash is still king. That's the other thing. Like, I think I'm so I'm a believer that we have to figure out how to build a system that can't be surveilled or controlled um, by central authority before we make it all completely digital. And that's why. Yeah. Um, I'm into Bitcoin, but um, we're not. I really don't feel like like uh, chain splaining Bitcoin or like trying to force that on you. I'm interested to like, why did you decide to start making content in China? Like what? I mean, I've always liked making people laugh and I've always liked making videos. I would do that with friends when I was real young, just using my dad's camcorder. But my friend from college who I moved out to China with, he knew how to film and edit. Um, and so we were like, Let's just start to, and then once I saw how hilarious of a place China was and like how absurd it is and how like there was a lot of things that, you know, I feel like people in the U.S., they're, what they think China is like isn't necessarily true. So I was like, I can show people what China is actually like, but in a very comedic way. Um, yeah. No, yeah, and I think you do an incredibly good job what was the first video you were like uh in a paul pierce jersey going through a terminal or a, a baggage check uh yeah i mean yeah i was wearing a larry bird jersey larry for bird. like the, my first year of vids yeah. um so because like a lot of people as you were saying they think of it as this authoritarian yeah. sort of like um what uh, authoritarian dystopia yeah. uh and i'm sure in some ways like it could seem like that, especially with the internet. Like, you know, most of the internet is blocked. I need a VPN to use most of the websites that I do use. So that's very weird. But then when you actually just like meet the people, you know, all the people are like the vast majority that I've met have all been super friendly, you know, very down to earth. Um, and, you know, it's been great, like being able to make friends out there. Yeah, I mean, you just met uh, an internet legend, legend in Pongzai. Yeah, he's the man. Where was he from? He's from. He's from. He, he stayed in a, in his village. Hebei, right? yeah. yeah. Um, and um, yeah, I think that's one of the more polluted polluted provinces. Something that's happened recently is they've been moving a lot of the factories away from the big cities in the east, like Beijing, Shanghai, and. Uh, and Guangzhou and moving them into rural parts of China. So now the pollution isn't nearly as bad in Beijing as it used to be. When I first moved there, they would have horrible days where kids weren't even allowed to go to school. Um, and so the air quality is a lot better in the first tier cities. But if you go to a third tier city, then that's where all the smog is now. Yeah. No, and that was, uh, yeah, you had like advisories where you were advised to stay inside. Yeah, in uh, in Shanghai. Yeah, um, but no, that's again like, and I'm happy you said that. Like, there's this view which I'm probably very guilty of having, um, just from having read the media. I mean, I do think the Chinese government is doing some very evil stuff, but that's the point I want to bring you in. Like, the people of China seem to be very good people, and like, yeah, Kong's like, is a, an incredible example of that. Like, he. He seemed like you you genuinely uh yeah touched him i mean mm -hmm. not literally but figuratively you had him crying at one point singing uh karaoke yeah. to him and it's funny if you think about it, the people in china are probably even more farther removed from politics than we are because they've probably been trained you know that like all right we're just you know we like 
we don't have a say in politics and there's not much we can do about it. And the reason why, you know, there's not mass protests or anything like that is because for the past 60 years, probably the, um, the quality of life has been slowly improving. And so they like kind of like don't have something to complain about right now because most of the like the people my age in China, most of their parents when they were young, they didn't even have enough food to eat. So now I don't think like there's anyone in China who's going hungry. Like, yeah. like there are definitely are very poor people in China, but everybody in the country has enough food to eat. And as you were saying, the rising middle class. So it's like there's not mass protests or anything like that just because the quality of life has been slowly improving. Um, and who knows if it will continue to improve. But like I think that's why people aren't upset enough to start you know, revolting against the government right now. Yeah. No, if, uh, things have, for most people, especially in the big cities, like objectively gotten better. Uh, yeah. Like they've, that's the big story in China over the last... F- six to seven decades yeah. is the the immersion of the middle class and but and that's so that's this is a very economic heavy yeah. podcast and pretty much it, I, I guess since 19 1987 or something i think or 1980 is when they first started yes. to like open up to the west and that's when the, com- the country started to just like like rapidly improve yeah yeah and it's like yeah, the globalization started. And that's actually the last uh, the last uh, episode I recorded with Jeff Vanger two episodes ago. It was like anti-globalization, but like it's um it's interesting to see how like uh China's changed so much so quickly like and like emerging into the global economy that quickly. Yeah. Um and pulling all these people out of poverty too as well. And, and again, like, so giving the perspective of somebody who sees only the Chinese state, like the authoritarian state, like sending Uyghurs to concentration camps and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, the Chinese people living there, they're basically like, hey, my life's only gotten better my whole life. Like, yeah. A lot of people in the cities, most of the people in the cities, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Or they think back to like their parents who were like complaining about the government and then like maybe their parents' generation, they were sent like to prison camps or something like that because... I know when Mao was still around, that happened to loads of people. Yeah. So how much did you know about Chinese history, culture before you went? I didn't know a ton. And I mean, I, now I know a lot more about the history, but it's weird. It's like almost living there, I've been like very far removed from politics. It's like I haven't been getting involved in U.S. politics because I'm like, well, I'm living in China it doesn't affect me. And then I, I never get involved in Chinese politics because I'm like, I'm a foreigner here. I don't really care. Like That's probably the best place to be. Yeah. So I just like, I <laughs> feel like I've been very far removed from politics for like, for like the past 10 years. Yeah. Um, because they like, I guess now it's starting to change a bit, but for, definitely for my first five years, it was like, okay, if you're a foreigner in China, the government will let you just do what you want as long as you aren't like involving a lot of Chinese people, as long as you aren't starting to get like Chinese people wrapped up in something, 
which I think why is why like the government, I've done a lot of like risque vids, but the government has never complained because most of my fans live in the US. Mm -hmm. I don't have tons of Chinese fans. If I was like, if all of a sudden I had like a rabid following of Chinese fans, then the government would be like, all right, who the fuck is this guy? Like we need to control him. <laughs> well, so for you freaks that know, Donnie has a series of videos at, uh, he's a, uh, maybe the biggest Shanghai Sharks fan in the world. Oh yeah. And those are my favorite. You just, I think that's where you get Let's go the most Shacks. ridiculous as well. Uh, yes. And so I have a new Sharks video that might come out in March. <laughs> Was that with the baby? Yes. Where did you get that baby? It wasn't a real baby. I, it wasn't? No. It, it was a fake baby, and I brought it because they. this is the first season where they have banned booze at the games. So I brought a baby as a way to sneak in beer. So it was a fake, a fake kid filled with beer, and then <laughs> I had a beer in both of my tits. So, <laughs> and so it was just like a way that I could sneak in three beers without getting caught. What, uh, why'd they ban beer? I have no idea. There's that, like, as I was saying before, China's starting to get more lame. Yeah. It's not the wild, it's not the wild, wild east anymore. Yeah, man. Well, that's like the, the best part about your Sharks videos is three beers and a Fanta. Yeah. Like, yeah. So I was finding ways to bring the booze in. Um, because you, you've been banned from that stadium before, right? The Shark Tank. Um, yeah. Like at one point, I was just like seen as like public enemy number one. Cause I had danced on the court once. Um, but then after that, I put out a video about how like I was treated like shit there and they wouldn't like want me at any of the games. And then the president called me like of the Shanghai Sharks and was like, I'm so sorry for the way that you were treated. Like we're going to give you two free courtside seats all next season. And th that was insane. So then I went from being public enemy number one to being just treated like a VIP. And then I left for a year and I came back and now I'm just back to being like a normal fan. Um, but this might be, this might be the last, like the final chapter of the Shanghai Sharks saga. Cause this might be my last year full time in China. Why do you say that? Um, I don't know. I just feel like I've lived there for a while. I'm, I'm ready for a change of pace. I do like, it's not a huge, I haven't felt it super strongly, but I know like, like there is starting to become a little bit more of a hostile atmosphere like towards Americans or at least like the government is looking for like ways that they can crack down on the amount of foreigners or on the amount of um, people from the U.S. in China and it, it could be related to the trade war but yeah yeah the fucking trade war man it's um not yeah it's well, that and like I, I think it might be more related to Hong Kong, right? Because the the Hong Kong protesters waving the American flags, uh, yeah, the national anthem at one point, yeah. Um, and I love Hong Kong. It's like that was, yeah. And I don't even like fully understand like everything that is going on there because I know it. The protest there started off at first because of the of the extradition bill, which was like. If someone commits a crime in Hong Kong, they can be forced to be extradited. To, yeah, they can be it forced. started before that, though, right? Because it was about the Chinese government being able to they had or the Chinese government had to okay the cabinet members of the Hong yes, Kong. Yes, so government. those were protests that happened 
three years ago. I was actually the in um, Hong Kong during those protests. The umbrella protests, yeah, correct? The yes. yellow umbrella. That's nuts. I was in Hong Kong for those, and they shut down the largest uh, highway in Hong Kong. What was that like? And everybody was just camping on the highway. So I was just like walked onto the highway and was just like hanging out with the protesters. Were you there for the protests or just, just no, I didn't, to be in town? No, I just happened to be there. And it was funny. Those protests, I think those protests are the, re- are the reason why China banned uh, Instagram because you used to be able to use that in China. And then they didn't want people seeing photos of the protests. And so around the same time as those kicked off, they banned that app. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on, so how, what's the relationship uh, as somebody who travels between Shanghai and Hong Kong, like how often do people go to Hong Kong? What's like the, is it once you get to Hong Kong, it's like, I would, yeah, I used to have looser. to go. Yeah. It feels like a completely different country. Uh, and you have to get your passport stamped. Um, so for a while I was on a tourist visa. I'm actually on a tourist visa now. So every 60 days I have to leave the country and going to Hong Kong counts as leaving the country. So I used to head to Hong Kong. Yeah. Once every two months. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's crazy. Um, Cause it's like this little pub of like America, not America, like capitalism in yeah. the East. Right? Yeah. It probably, you could probably compare it more to like the UK yeah. I guess just yes like, yeah Brit- they were it was a British colony yeah, yeah they have yeah. they have the uh red double-decker buses that they have in the UK all of the streets name like a lot of the streets are just called like very British names yeah and things like that and there's loads of Brits there's there's definitely a lot more British expats in Hong Kong than Americans yeah that's one thing you do every year right is the uh, rugby tournament is that in Hong Kong yeah yeah. Yeah. So that's a, and that'll be nuts. Like I'm planning on going back, but it'll be crazy if that's happening at the same time as the protests. So it's Hong Kong Sevens, which is one of the craziest parties in Hong Kong. If that's happening right next to all the protests, that'll be nuts. Yeah. They're still pro- are they still protesting? Yeah, I think yeah. so. So I know this new round of protests was because of that, uh, because of the extradition bill, but then they fully like removed the bill and we're like, okay, we're not going to pass it. And so you, you would think the protests would then die down, but then they just got even worse. Ramped up. Yeah. And there's still going on. There's always been like, I thought they had a good thing. Like I thought they were like happy with the one country, two systems policy. It just seems like, all right, Hong Kong is going to do their own thing. China, mainland China does their own thing. And yeah, they're both technically China, but they operate completely differently. And people seemed happy with that. Um, But I guess because China has been taking small steps to like fully incorporate it, now Hong Kongese people are getting very upset. It started with the press, right? Like uh, censoring some journalists. Yeah, just like very small things. Every time they do it, people in Hong Kong are like, because I think China's end goal is like 2047, they want Hong Kong to be fully part of China. It's like a, a date they have? Yeah. So like same currency, same <laughs> government and stuff. And it's like, I don't see like how that can happen. Yeah. No, I mean, it got violent at yeah. a point. Like fire started, bricks being thrown. Yeah. Mal- a lot of Molotov cocktails. Um, mm-hmm. Well, and that's... So that's like the the weird position we find ourselves in. Not only 
I mean, uh, especially the people in Hong Kong right now and others in China and other, even here in America and anybody else who's subjected to the swift financial system, like the way the technology and the system is constructed right now, like all this stuff can be controlled. Um, yeah. And basically throttled by these governments and these banks in this financial system. And so that's what I worry about. And that's why I started this podcast. And that's why I talk about Bitcoin because I worry about honestly, um, the Chinese surveillance state being uh, exported to the rest of the world. Like we have a decision to make right now, we either uh, work to make a sovereign uh, non-state run central bank run currency like Bitcoin, which allows us to transact the way we want to, or yep. we just take the easy route and let the States and tech companies build these apps for us that yeah. they are allowed to control. Oh, for sure. And, but like the, I think there's even like, I, someone was telling me that a lot of people <coughs> high up in the Chinese government, like in the Communist Party, they have a lot of their cash in Hong Kong. And they're very worried. Like, they don't want Hong Kong to fully become part of China because that's almost like Hong Kong's like a free, a free place where they can keep their cash and it's not fully controlled by the government. Well, that and then after you hit a certain point of wealth in China, you, they like say, Hey, all right, you're rich enough. Like we're just going to send you into the pastures. Like you're not allowed to work anymore. Like Jack Ma's stepping down from Alibaba, isn't he? Uh, yeah, he is. I don't know why is that. Do you think that's, no, that is that's because thing. of the government. No, Chinese billionaires are like quietly told like, all right, you've made enough. Like you're done working. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I believe it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you're required to retire at age, uh, 65. Like, I don't think you're allowed to keep working after that age. Yeah. Um, but the craziest thing and the reason why Chinese people are buying up all of the real estate in Canada and North, like, and New York City and the U.S. and just driving the prices so high is because in China, when you buy a home, it's actually only like a 70 year lease. So when you buy that home, that, like, you can't pass that on to your kids. That just means that you have that house for the next 70 years. And so they're like, fuck, I'm going to invest my money into real estate in, in Canada or North America where I will now like own that property forever. Yeah. No, and that's, it's, it's why rent's so expensive in this apartment that we're in right yeah. now. Yeah. And I've heard like in uh, <laughs> Vancouver and shit. Vancouver is horrible. absurd. So Vancouver, yeah. San Francisco, New York, London. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't want to ruin any other cities by mentioning them. Yeah. But, uh. No, it's, and that's, and that's the other thing, right? So like you're forced because you can't store your value in the currency that you own because it's mm -hmm. controlled by somebody to then go yeah. seek to store it in other vehicles, other assets, which mm -hmm. re real estate is one of the most popular. Yeah. Um, and that's why I'm interested. Like, so like, what is the crypto scene like in Bitcoin or what is the Bitcoin scene like in China? Do people talk about it all? Because that would be like, it, imagine being in China and not having to go buy real estate in Hong Kong or Vancouver, or New York, just being able to buy a little Bitcoin, keep 12 words hidden safely. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's pretty big, but I've only talked about it with my, like my foreign friends there. And I know I, like, I do have a couple of foreign friends that are huge into crypto out in China, but I don't really know what the Chinese scene is like. What have you heard about it? Like I did. Yeah. I, I just know the Chinese scene 
that I know predominantly is dominated by mining. I just know China's been the powerhouse for mining for oh yeah for quite some time. Um, yeah, there's definitely a huge mining community. Um, China, I believe, controls close to fifty percent of the hash rate of Bitcoin oh, wow. right now. Um, that needs to change if Bitcoin's going to be successful in the long run. But I got to tip my hat to the Chinese entrepreneurs, whoever's running mines out there. Like they're taking advantage of that hydroelectric energy. Yeah. They'll set up shop like right next to one of those ghost huge towns. hydroelectric dams, right? Well, or, yeah. And apparently or, it's because of these ghost towns that they set up. Like oh, nobody's yeah. moving. To, well, this is anecdotal. Like I, I don't have uh, direct yeah. evidence of this, but what I'm hearing is like uh, some of these ghost towns, at least not all of them, but some of them have been set up with a, uh, a hydroelectric dam source for energy. Nobody's living there. Yeah. Um, if they're not going to get that money from people expending that energy in the town, they might as well mine Bitcoin. And true. So a lot of this, uh, this hydroelectric energy that is supposed to be used for towns that people are living in that nobody's living in is being used for Bitcoin mm-hmm. mining instead. Yeah. It's, it's pretty scary, I guess. Like, I don't know. It's, scary like as you were saying before the amount of control the government has like with the surveillance state like have you been hearing about their facial recognition oh yeah dude you can't jaywalk without getting a ticket yeah um and i didn't know so like my face is is in their database and i found that out because i was at a shanghai sharks game and they got upset because i was filming myself trying to sneak in beers like i first i wanted to film a scene where I blatantly get caught walking in with beers. So I taped just like six tall boys to my chest and I <laughs> walked through the metal detector and it's like beep beep. And then I pull up my shirt and I'm like, oops, I'm sorry. Uh, and they like noticed that my friend was filming. And so they call us into this back room and they actually like call the cops and the cops, like they just wanted to make sure that we were in China legally. So they take out this machine. It looks sort of like a phone and just like take a photo of our faces. And then my like real name pops up, my visa number pops up, like the date I came into China pops up, uh, the last time I've left the country pops up. And so like all of that um, and my passport, like and my passport number, and they just, they can pull up all of the info just by one quick scan of my face. It's fucking f- frightening, man. Yeah. Like, in- we're all face fucked. So this is, this is a topic I talk about a lot. Like yeah. We're all face fucked. Uh, so do you think the U.S. also has a database of 100%. just like all of our faces? That's yeah, a fact. Yeah. It's been proven. WikiLeaks yeah. has proven it. Like, uh, if, yeah. I don't know if they've directly proven that they have our face data, but they definitely have a lot of our data. And I think in the last couple of weeks it's come out that Apple has a backdoor where they're just feeding all of our data. Oh, because they they have all of our faces for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You, you just have a passive camera staring at you yeah. at times. Like, and um, I know there's a KFC in China where you can actually just pay with your face. It just scans your face. It sees which dude. WeChat account it's linked to and takes the money. They're about to start. WeChat. They're about to start pilot, piloting that. Piloting that yeah. in New York City with the fucking subway, dude. Facial recognition paying for the subway. Oh wow! I mean. It would be convenient, but it's also it would, kind of scary. Yeah, it's Minority <laughs> Report, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's like the weird thing. Again, that's like the big topic of this podcast. Like, what are we doing? We're moving into the digital age, the information age. We have a decision to make. Like, we right now, we allocate a lot of our data to all these huge companies. Yeah. Facebook, Amazon, 
uh, Instagram is Facebook. WhatsApp is Facebook. Telegram, uh, and all this data stored in the cloud. And there's a good chance, freaks, that we fucked up the internet the first time around, like uh, architecting it this way, where we allocate uh, the storage of our data to third parties. Um, and that's what, like, so that's why I want to talk to you. Like, do you? And it seems like you're you're okay with it, but like a little worried that like the 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 tech surveillance state could um, um, potentially hinder freedom and your ability to do, or not your ability, but just individuals' ability to yeah. to live life the way they want to in the future. Yeah, for sure. I definitely knew of a few friends who would actually like buy weed using wechat and shit like that and then they're like yeah i don't think i should do that anymore um yeah just self-censoring like, yeah do you find yourself self-censoring a lot um in china i like i haven't been just because i haven't gotten in trouble yet and now that i think this might be my last year in china be like if i get in trouble now and they're like you have to leave the country it's not the end of the world um but no i mean for like the local chinese people there they probably have to self-censor all the time um, and that's the thing. It's, that's why I don't make uh, Chinese content or I don't make content for a Chinese audience because I have tried that a few times and you'll film a video and they'll be like, um, okay, but we can't use that part and that part and that part. Um, yeah, like even I knew a kid, he like, he wrote a Chinese parody song and he was invited to perform it on a Chinese TV show, but he just had like a line about the traffic in Beijing being very bad or about like the air quality not being great. And they're like, you need to take out that line. See, that's the problem with China is like, they can't make fun of themselves and they can't like at least that's something you can do in the u.s you can talk shit about the government you can be like this is a fucking joke this is horrible in china you're just not allowed to do that and that's why that thing like when um that uh the owner where was the manager of the houston rockets he just posted something about <laughs> hong kong and it's like they're so insecure about it that they just like lost their shit how did you feel about like LeBron and Adam Silver and all those guys? That was like absurd. I mean, I could see why they were in a tough place because they make so much money from China. But I think it's just China is just, I feel like just recently, probably because of the Hong Kong thing, they've become like so insecure where they can't let someone just like talk a little shit about them or then they feel like they need to pump their chest out and be like, no, you're not going to say that about China or we'll screw you over. Um, and they, so they made a big show of it and they're like, we're going to ban the NBA from China. But now it's all like slowly coming back. Like Tencent is their biggest video uh, streaming website. And they, at first they were like, yeah, we're banning all, um, all games. And then slowly they have like brought it back. Like after they were able to appear super hardline, now they're slowly bringing back the NBA games. Yeah, it's interesting. Like how. Uh... Although I, I I did hear that now on that app, and maybe in China in general, they don't call the Houston Rockets by name. They call them <laughs> the Red Team. The Red Team. Yeah. So now I, I think in China, like every announcer in the country isn't allowed to call them the Houston Rockets. They just go. And the red team has the ball. That's that's ironic, right? Because Yao. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and he's he's the biggest. Yeah, he's the he's the commissioner of the CBA right now. 
Well, yeah, what is he? Is he the owner of the Ducks? Or no, he was the, the owner, owner of the he Sharks. He was the owner of the Sharks. And yeah. he, he used to be at all the games, and I got to shake his hand a couple times. Um, but now he's the commissioner of the whole league. As he should be. And he moved up to Beijing, yeah. That, that seems like a good position for him. Yeah. Um, how massive is he in real life? He's huge, yeah. He's probably one of the more famous people in China, you would think. He's probably someone that like most people in the country know who he is. Yeah. Well, it's, it, well sp- speaking of the NBA, it's crazy how big, like I, I'm from Philly, so like seeing the success that AI has in China. Like, Oh, yeah. In his after his career i thought that was huge and you see stefan marbury out there yeah they have like statues of him out there right yeah they built because he started playing for the beijing ducks i think he won them like three cba titles back to back to back um so that was huge and now he's still a coach out there yeah but fuck the ducks fuck the ducks yeah yeah jimmer for was huge out there for a bit Um, jeremy lynn's out there now right yeah and i mean he's gonna be he could be even huger the Marbury, just because he comes from an Asian background. Like really? He, um, yeah. I could see. I mean, if they were willing to embrace Marbury that much, who was like, he showed up with like the worst <laughs> rep of all time, being like, he's a fucking weirdo psycho back in the U.S. Was he like 32? So um, well, no, I just know like right before he moved out to China, he was like putting out these youtube vids where he was eating vaseline and was acting like a fucking weirdo and like everybody in the u.s were like okay he is fucking he has flopped off the dock like he is just he is out to lunch but then he just got fully embraced in china and then you have jeremy lynn who's just this like super wholesome guy um harvard grad yeah harvard grad and everybody in china loves harvard and he's asian although he's taiwanese and it's like I don't think they really harp on that. But, um, yeah, so I think, like, if he actually wins some titles, like, he could be treated like a god out in China. Yeah. He, uh, what? That run with the Knicks, why Why was he starting and who went down? Um, oh, I, don't, I don't know, but, yeah. Was it Steve Lynn, But, no. like, Lynn Sanity was nuts, and, like, that's why when he realized he would no longer play in the NBA, he had that, he had that press conference where he was crying and he was like, I've hit rock bottom. And it's like, dude, you have a Harvard degree, millions and millions of dollars. You're like an Asian American hero, or you're just like a hero amongst, amongst Asian people around the world. And you won an NBA championship with, with the Raptors. So you have a ring. It's like, you have not hit rock bottom. (laughs) You have a lot of shit to fall back on. And um, yeah, now he, I'm sure he's one of the, like the highest paid players out in China. Jeremy Lin, I would seriously consider trading places with you. Yeah, life has been pretty fun. It yeah, seems up to this point. Um, now it's uh, now it's, and that's the other thing too. Like so, again, getting back to the topic, of, like the people versus the state. Like you see, and again through your videos, like I, you just see like the average Chinese person seems like. Your average American who just wants to enjoy life, get by, have fun with their friends, drink. Uh, yeah, yeah, like, for sure. There's like a lot of a lot of Chinese guys. I feel like they're so like caught up and like, okay, I need to get a job, I need to get a car, I need to find a wife, I need to find, I need to well, buy a house. How much does that, the one child policy play into that? Yeah, and so and because their parents put a lot of pressure on them because they don't really even have social security. I don't think. And so a lot of times you're like, 
you're expected to take care of your parents when they stop working. And so they, I don't find, I don't find a problem with that. Yeah, I I guess. But so when you only have one child, they just put all this pressure to be like, it's very important that you are very successful so you can take care of us. And so a lot of like Chinese, I don't have like as many Chinese friends my age as you would think, because they really don't socialize that much. They're, what do you mean? They're very serious. Like when they're young, they just have loads of tutors. So on the weekends, they're going to their like math tutor their English tutor, their piano tutor. And then the goal is to get into a really good high school and then a really good college. And then right after college, they have to just focus on their job. And then their main goal is to find a wife. And then, you know, once they find the wife and then they're very, they're freaking out because in China, like Chinese men think they'll have zero chance of finding a wife unless they have a car and an apartment. So like a job, a car, and an apartment. So then their first priorities are all right, job, car, apartment, and then wife. And then So you're delaying family formation. You're and then they have their kid and then their main priority is their kid. So they just don't have a lot of time to just like chill and have fun. Yeah. Yeah. No, and and with the one child policy, like you have this weird Yeah. Uh imbalance right where you have like something like 40 million single yeah. men more single men than women and and that's why they recently removed the one shot yeah policy. like yeah. the last couple of years right yeah yeah and that's that's a crazy thing like just a bunch of horny single dudes running around like yeah with literally not enough women in the country to mm-hmm. to meet and i think it's a lot of the single guys are like just living in the countryside where they're like yeah well it's something that's uh, it's not for the same reason, but in Japan, it's something that happens too, where you have the, uh, there's like a hermit culture almost too. Yeah. I've been hearing about that where people don't want to fuck in Japan for some reason. Yeah. That's very weird. Right. Yeah. They feel like it's too much responsibility. I don't know to have like a real relationship. So they just, they're just, will be playing computer games or they'll go out to these clubs and just like watch these female singers who they look up to and they'll just kind of like fanboy over yeah and, and they'll be like that's my girlfriend or and they'll I'll have, go see her concert once a month and they'll have like mini hologram girlfriends and yeah and it's pretty crazy i was just i was just in japan and i absolutely love that country it's the best food i've ever had in my life everything's so cool but there is that kind of like sad um you know that sad part of the culture that you don't really see that much but you just know is happening. Yeah, it's it's fast. I mean, I'm again. I am fascinated by the the, the interaction of economies in the world, like uh, economics backgrounds. Like I uh, graduated high school in 2008, and like just uh, going into college during that time, like really had me hyper focused on what's going on in the world. And one thing that is important to follow that I found is birth rate. And, um, if you just look at like birth rates of the world, Japan is one where it's like falling. Like if you're a country that's supposed to be growing and your population is growing, your birth rate should be 2.1 births per couple. Japan's at like 1.5 right Mm -hmm. now, which is like absurd. Um, And if like back in the eighties, they were one of the most successful countries in the world, right? Yeah. They were mating like, uh, yeah. Furbies. Yeah. 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 And that's like, and now 
they've been taken over by China, sort of. Um, or at least, like, now China is the big dog in Asia. Yeah, what's but, going on in the, uh, is it the South China Sea? Um, oh, yeah, there, there were some islands, yeah. yeah. I don't really know. At one point, there were protests against Japan over those islands. And it puts the U.S. in a weird place because we have, like, vowed to protect Japan. Japan but we're much more closely tied to China. Um, economically. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we're yeah. tied economically to both pretty intently, but like yeah. China makes a lot of our shit. Yeah. Most, a lot of, I don't want to say yeah. most of our shit. I can't say that. I'm certain. So like with the trade war, I know the exchange rate has changed a bit. Now I get paid in USD, so it hasn't really affected me as much, but my friends who are paid in Chinese RMB, I think it changed from like, it was one US dollar to six RMB. Now it's one US dollar to like, 7.2 and so a lot of them their their salaries are now worth a lot less in usd than they were before yeah the purchasing power of their paychecks less so yeah can you help me understand the ran b versus yuan better like what's offshore is one offshore, it's the same thing it's okay. the same thing okay. yeah it's just they you can call it a yuan rent renminbi or a kwai and it all means the same thing and but isn't there like a an offshore isn't one offshore, one onshore? Oh, I had weird? no idea about that. I've yeah. always just heard that you can use them both okay. for whenever. Yeah. No, I was uh, um, always because yeah. So they're like in the currency markets, you have like your offshore yuan, and then like the renminbi. Yeah, is, I didn't. I I had no idea about that. Yeah. Um, but that's another thing. Like, so you've traveled the world. Like, you were just in Zimbabwe. You've been to South Korea for the Olympics. Like. How does this stuff vary from country to country from what you've seen? And is there, is anybody doing it better or worse? Um, um, well, I was telling you before the podcast started that in Zimbabwe, they use mobile payments too. Yeah. Even if it's not on a smartphone, if it's just on a keypad phone and you just put in a code. So if you're at the supermarket, you put in the code for the supermarket and it, it takes it out of your account and puts it into their account. And that's what most people use now because I guess just cash in Zimbabwe is just historically so unreliable that they feel like doing mobile payments like makes a lot more sense. Yeah. No, that was what we were talking about before we hit record too. Like Zav was, Oh, it was called, it was called Econet. Econet. Econet is how all the mobile payments are done there. And so, how do you get on the Econet? Like, did you um, have to go through? Yeah, I could. I well, So I handed Zaz's mom just U.S. dollars, and she was able to convert it into cash on my Econet account. And that you had just created when you landed in? Yeah. So I just had to get a, I had to get a SIM card, and then, and then you put that money onto your SIM card. Yeah. So for those of you freaks who... Don't know. Uh, I had Za. We're talking about Za, who's another Barcel employee from Zimbabwe. He was on the podcast first thirty episodes. We talked about how we talked about Zimbabwe's hyperinflationary. Um, uh, their bout of hyperinflation and what how the country reacted. And Za told us about how he paid for high school with with uh, with cattle and gasoline. Yeah. What was the experience like in Zimbabwe? You were there like three months ago, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, we like 
Za didn't want us to like delve too much into the politics because he was like, if we if we're putting out vids that I don't know, because there were like a lot of protests that were happening in the capital city when we were there, and it was like, if we're putting out a video about that, then the government might like visit his family and be like, why did you let these journalists like into the country to report on what's going on? Because they're the government is pretty corrupt and. They definitely don't want kind of news leaking into the outside world. Uh, so yeah, we didn't we didn't really focus on politics that much. I know people aren't very happy with the government right now. Like Zaz's family is very well off there, and most days they wouldn't have electricity from nine a.m. to nine p.m. Yeah, no, that's and, what I found fascinating. But you said, and it's like I don't, and I think it's because the government like is corrupt. Like they have. Like the the country has enough resources and money to provide everyone with electricity, but there's just like people at the top that are taking all of the money. Yeah, no, it's it's fucked, man. Yeah, it's uh, and it's with Zimbabwe in particular. Like they they had the hyperinflation where like the Zim dollar just got inflated into into shit, and then. Um, and then they just had to invent a completely new currency. So I think now it's not even like Zimbabwean dollars. They had to like, it's tied. I would imagine it's tied to the dollar to some extent. Yeah. Um, so I think you can use USD like in yeah. Zimbabwe. I think for a while when their currency completely collapsed, then people were only using USD. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the, the go-to, like yeah. the, that's the reserve currency of the world right now. They use USD in Cambodia too, actually. Yeah. I mean, when I, so I, um, I very partial towards Latin America. I go to Costa Rica and same thing. You can use colones or, or US oh, dollars nice. down there. Yeah. yeah. I'm definitely trying to go to Latin America and South America next. What? Uh, yeah. At some point. Let's talk about that. We're in anywhere in particular. Um, well, I've been to Belize and Guatemala once, but this was back when I was in high school and I just loved it down there, but I haven't gone further south than that. So I would like to make it like, you know, into Peru and Colombia, Bolivia at some point. Yeah. Now I used to work for a company, uh, before Barcelona, the company I worked for, uh, was based out of Quito, Ecuador and, uh, Cartagena, Colombia. I've always wanted to go to Cartagena. Cartagena seems like a dope fucking city. Yeah. I know people who have been going to Colombia for bachelor parties now because there's like, it's cheap as there's fuck. reasonably priced flights down there and you'd probably actually spend a lot less at a bachelor party in Colombia than you would in Las Vegas. A hundred. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. I have. And you would have more fun. I, I personally didn't love Las Vegas. I, when I, was I there. lost. I've never been, I have no desire to go. Yeah. It's just like a giant shopping mall. It's, it's, it's not great. Um, someone was saying when I said I was going on, this podcast, he was, they were like, like being a world traveler like yourself, you really need to get into cryptocurrency. So like, why would you say it's so important to world traveling? Cause you can walk around like, the, the world naked across borders with money in your mind. And nobody can do anything about it. But then, but then how do you spend the money when you're in the country? Like it depends where you are. You got to find yeah. people who are willing to accept it or, okay. Uh, ATMs that are willing to exchange it. Yeah, that's a that's a big thing. So, Colombia borders Venezuela. I've had um, uh, a couple, few Venezuelans on the podcast to discuss their hyperinflationary and mm-hmm. uh, 
despotic situation. And so the way they're using Bitcoin is world travelers crossing borders. So the use case that I think this, I saw the tweet, the person that you're talking about was, was alluding to is the fact that you can move money across borders without uh, having some money changer or government take a yeah. fee out of it, which oh, is yeah. huge for a lot of people. Um, so the example uh, my Venezuelan friend was describing on the Venezuela-Colombia border is so obviously Venezuela's got shit currency, hyperinflation. Yeah. Uh, the Bolivar is not worth anything. Uh, it is possible for Venezuelans to uh, attain Bitcoin. Um, most people will use the U.S. dollar as a store current, uh, store okay. value though because it's stable. Yeah, Bitcoin's price is obviously volatile, but if they have to cross borders, they'll exchange their temporarily exchange their dollars for Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the way they'll do that is they'll write down the private key, which is either 12 to 24 words or a string of letters and numbers, um, which basically uh, gives them and them alone access to uh, the public keys associated with that, which is basically the Bitcoin addresses where you accept your Bitcoin. Yep. So they'll take the U.S. dollars, uh, buy Bitcoin with it, send it to this address, put the words on a piece of paper, which you can hide in your ass crack across the border. You go across the border, you find a Bitcoin ATM, you put your 12 words in, you get your money, you take your cash out. Okay. And you're not able to be frisked at the border. You're not, you're not having gold confiscated at the border. Yep. You're not. Um, so that's one aspect. Yeah, no, because I know if you live in China, you're only allowed to like take out yeah. 10,000. Like you can't take out like more than 10,000 US dollars. Like, uh-huh. um, so I have some friends that you've been working in China for the past 10 years and just you have all this money in Chinese RMB. It's like, I have some, they're, they're worried about how they're going to be able to get it all back to the U S to take them years. Yeah. Yeah. Or they have to just like hide it in a suitcase, but then you, you're only allowed to exchange. I think like at a Chinese bank, you can only exchange like $500 of like, you can bring in Chinese RMB and only exchange enough for $500 per day. Yeah, no. and I only do that up to ten thousand U.S. dollars. Dude, I have fucking limits on the amount of money I can move on Venmo and Cash App. Like, yeah, that is uh, that is what Bitcoin Bitcoin provides a yeah. alternative network in which like I could send as much money anybody could send as much money as they wanted to. Yeah, nobody is there to be like, hey, we need to check your ID before you send this. So seeing I get paid in us dollars right now when i need cash in china there are there are a lot of like people uh from the us working in china who want as much usd as possible so i'm like i'll send you a two thousand dollar venmo and then you send me the equivalent in rmb via wechat and that's a way that we can avoid having to like you know pay a high exchange rate or anything like that no that's perfect yeah that works well yeah um but obviously, I'm not like always going to be able to do that. But it just that's working out well for me now. Yeah, until yeah. WeChat's like, hey, we noticed you've done this three or four times. Yeah, what the fuck yeah. are you doing? Yeah, um, with Bitcoin, the Bitcoin network's ever going to be like, oh, what are you doing this? What? Yeah, and that's so that's again the difference between Bitcoin and so I think China is this Chinese the Chinese state the surveillance state particularly is the on one end of a very polarized spectrum and the most extreme end you can be it is minority report brought to the modern age yeah um in every uh, digital system surveilled and run by government is slowly drifting towards that uh, mm-hmm. and that's just inevitable by the way the technology that we use today works like yeah 
we literally have to re uh, imagine the way data is stored and how you how how you control your data. Mm-hmm. Um, and Bitcoin is, in my opinion, one of the first, if not the first, or the best uh, first uh, product that allows you to do that in a, in, a, in an earnest way, mm-hmm. in a way that actually uh, uh, impedes the state's ability to to control you. Yeah, we're getting philosophical here. We're getting cosmic. We are. I mean, I might have to buy my first Bitcoin after this podcast. If, hey. Um, and Bitcoin. Are you bu- selling some? <laughs> no, yeah, no, I'm, sure. I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. Uh, I practice what I preach. Yeah. I hodle. I did um, have a couple of friends back in 2015, and they started mining Ethereum mm-hmm. um, out of one of my friend's mom's house. And. Um, yeah, I think that was kind of right before the boom, so they were probably both able to make like a quick 150,000. Boss. Yeah. Just a quick stack, stack yeah. and a half. Yeah. <laughs> but no, no, it's a um no, that like the the um they can say gains of the altcoins, I think it's possible that they come back and that stuff still happens, but uh Bitcoin cryptocurrencies i don't think they're going anywhere like um Mm -hmm. it just makes sense this stuff has actually been predicted yeah Uh, there was a book written in the 90s called the sovereign individual in 1997 on page 25 it predicted bitcoin and say in the future there'll be a cryptocurrency named bitcoin it said in the future after uh many uh instances of state central banks debasing their currencies there will eventually come along a currency that's run on the internet is completely separate of a central bank run on algorithms and crypto- cryptography yeah run by individuals like so this is something that has actually been being worked on for decades yeah cuz that would be better than the alternative like say if the US dollar loses prominence and like the Chinese the Chinese RMB becomes king or something like that like you don't that's, want that yeah that's a lot worse than it's just like there's a new big dog in town who controls the world where if it's Bitcoin, it's not just one country that's controlling the world. No, it's a bunch of individuals. Yeah. And um, so that's actually a big theory out there. So the world right now, the reason the dollar, do you, why do you think the dollar is the reserve currency of the world? Um, it's the most stable or it like, did, that's it, true. did it rise to prominence after World War Two? After World, well, yeah, most mostly, yeah. After World War Two, mostly after um, Nixon took us off the gold standard. But the main reason is because if you want to buy oil in the world, you have to first convert your currency into U.S. Oh. dollars to buy oil. It's called the petrodollar. Like the uh, petro, yeah. That's what the petrodollar is. Like, yeah. Okay. The petrodollar system dictates that if you want to buy oil, at least in the Middle East, from an OPEC. Uh, yeah. pr- provider, you have to first convert your currency into U.S. dollars, uh, and then buy the oil. So that provides like a uh, a, a long term demand for the dollar that sort of drives and dictates its reserve status. So on top okay. of that, we have the biggest military, one of the strongest economies. So that yeah. certainly helps. But uh, we're also fucking up our money. I would argue too. Yeah, by uh, printing too much of it. Mm-hmm. which is a problem that many societies have had. And that's what history. we started to do during the recession. 
Did we? Right after, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> the Federal Reserve, which is our central bank. Yeah. It's, it came to be in 1913. Yeah. So between 1913 and 2008, 95 years. Uh, the balance sheet of the Fed, which represents the amount of money they printed, expanded from zero to $800 billion. So over the course of 95 years, they printed, essentially they printed or created $800 billion worth of U.S. dollars over the yeah. course of 95 years. After 2008, after Lehman Brothers collapsed, yeah. the response to that, it took the balance sheet from $800 billion to $4.3 trillion over the course of six years. So it took 95 years ago from zero to 800 billion. Took yeah. six years ago from 800 billion to four to to six x. Yeah, yeah, that's insane. So then they basically poured a bunch of money into the system. It's another reason why. So that's a compounding factor to uh, the Chinese uh, nationals driving capital into the U.S. real estate market. On top of that, the banks that were getting money from QE were also driving it into the real estate market because that's where the best returns were. On top yep. of the stock market and stuff like that. Um, so you have this like vicious cycle and the question is, can we, uh, keep up the economic production needed to pay back, pay back the debt that we've accrued by expanding the balance sheet? Cause that's what printing money actually means is that you're actually creating debt that needs to be paid back in the future. Yep. And that was my, uh, drunk Bitcoin rant or anti-fed rant. Yeah. No, I mean, you can't create cash out of thin air. Like it has to, it has to come back at some point. It has to come back to haunt you at some point, or you know, it needs to. Yeah, you need to. Well, that's the, well, that's the thing that worries me. I don't think people know what money is. That well, that's the thing. You don't. When you're young, you don't actually think about it at all. And even with me, like I'm 32, probably only in the past three years, it's finally dawned on me. It's like, what does this piece of paper actually mean? Like, and because yeah, you can't tie it to something concrete like uh like gold like gold anymore so you it's like what does it mean like when i take out my credit card and swipe it like what is it what is it tied to why it, am i receiving technically what it's goods? tied and to there was a uh south park episode that like that kind of summed it up very well they're like no because we all just believe in this like as like like see like as long as we all believe in this bullshit it's gonna work but the moment someone stops believing in it and realizes that it's not real then like it could all collapse. Well, that's, yeah. And that's, that's the biggest bullshit lie out there right now is that money is a shared illusion. Yeah. Yes. This money right now, I'm sorry, blowing up here. This money that we're like the U S dollar or use the Zimbabwe dollar, like as an example, like that was bad money because it'd be printed out of thin air. Like there was nothing again to tie yeah. it to like, it does not represent, your time or your effort well at all can just be debased. And again, going back to it, like what that money being printed represents is future production in the economy, which some would argue uh, may not be attainable. Or, and if you wanted to grow the economy at such a pace, you may destroy the world in the process by consuming so much. Yeah. Well, that's the scary thing is that, yeah, like all capitalistic economies are built on growth, but I feel like we're starting to reach the end of the line because we only have like finite resources on earth so it's like at some point you can't tie everything to growth just because we don't like you can't have growth can't, for growth's sake yeah you and you like the world just can't actually handle us just growing constantly for the next a thousand years 
you got to find something that's more sustainable. But I don't know how you do that because that's kind of like how we're all trained. It's just grow, 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 work, work, work. Like it's, it's never a company's goal to just exist, you know, and be like, Hey, we have 10 employees. We're all like fairly well paid and, and we're set. We're not going to try to grow at all. We're just going to coast. That's like never a company's goal. Yeah. And again, I, that's why I harp on Bitcoin and focus on educating people about Bitcoin. Cause I believe that growth for growth sake mindset is curbed a bit with Bitcoin. Like you can't, expand your economy by printing money in a Bitcoin world. Like okay, it's yeah. simply not possible. Like, mm-hmm. You would have to uh, bargain with people to have them agree to pay into the, the ideas that you want to uh, fund Okay, and stuff like that. All um, right. Yeah, so it's, a, it's Bitcoin is a bit of a reversion to a monetary system that existed for thousands of years. So that, that, that quote that has been, uh, propagated by Yuval Harari and Sapiens, which is, it's an okay book, but like the, the, the quote on money being a shared illusion is totally wrong. Money is a tool and that tool has certain properties and those properties, uh, if they, if that money has those properties, it will be a better money, uh, when it's able to compete on the the open market. And Mm -hmm. those properties are, it's scarce easily divisible it's easy to send it's uh, relatively cheap to send and bitcoin checks all those boxes uh, that's okay. what gold was before uh we we were taken off the gold standard yeah. gold was a lot more clunky mm-hmm. um, and that was my bitcoin indoctrination of donnie have you ever considered having john mcafee on the podcast well he's on the list here to talk <laughs> he's about. on the list he, he, he hit you up to he meet hit up, me up he? it was I have not had a lot of like celebs just randomly reach out. And then one day out of the blue, he fucking sends me a DM on Twitter and he was like, I love your stuff, man. <laughs> I was like, what the, is that, is this the John McAfee? Cause I think I had like seen the documentary on Netflix and I obviously knew when he was on the run in Columbia and shit like that. And yeah, it was the John McAfee and he just randomly liked my vids and it was funny because someone maybe like three months later had sent a, a photo of John McAfee and was like, you're going to look like this guy in 30 years. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, oh, I hope not. Um, but he usually wears like cheap, like fake Oakley shades as well. And that's usually what I'm wearing in all my vids. So I think that they were just drawing the comparison there. <laughs> um, but then he and like invited me down to Cuba and I was like, I, I, I talked to his wife and I was like, this is going to be so much fun. Janice like, or uh, what? Yeah. Janice. Uh, yeah. Right? Yeah. And I was going to hang out on his yacht and just like film a video about, it. I was so pumped. And then, uh, before I could, he got like banished from Cuba and like was in jail in the Dominican Republic and then like ran off to Europe somewhere. I have no idea where he is now. Yeah. So yeah, I sent Janice an email being like, so is this still going to happen? They're like, oh, we're currently on the run. Uh, so I think, I think the meeting is going to have to be postponed. We're going to have to rain check that. John was supposed to eat his dick last week. Jesus. He was going to... He was supposed gonna, to. He going to chop it off and cook it? No, in 2017, like in December, when we were uh, running towards 20000 he tweeted out, uh, Bitcoin will be uh, $1 million by December 31st, 2019. If not, I will eat my dick. Oh, my God. And uh, he 
for a while, not, for a while there, he spoke like he was going to hold yeah. to it, but uh, he's. Do you not, think all of his wealth is in crypto right now? Because I know he sold like he was like finally I don't I like I no longer own a house because he was like at one point I had five houses and all this shit and he was like I just found like the more you have the more the more responsibility and just like and time you don't have so it seems like he got rid of most of his worldly belongings I don't know if he just put it all into crypto more money more problems I don't know I mean it would be yeah. smart for him it I'm is true sure. in some sense like the more the more you have like everybody dreams of being rich and famous with like all of this all of these cars and boats and houses but that has to be like a pain in the ass I can't <laughs> imagine to fucking manage all that shit right just yeah. the upkeep alone yeah like I've always dreamed of having a boat but I also have heard it's like definitely the biggest money drain you can have what, um, the, uh, you have two good days with your boat the, yeah. the first day you get it and the yeah, day you give yeah. it away I mean, I then like I would still like to have one. It doesn't have to be a crazy yacht. It could just be like a small. No, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Uh, you're talking to somebody who twenty footer. I just love being on the ocean, so I feel like it would be worth it. But who knows? We'll see. <laughs> would you uh, rip that in mass or? Yeah, yeah, probably up in mass. I grew up on the coast up there, so I've always just like that's the greatest thing about my job now is that I used to just be in China for most of the summers, and it's fucking hot out there, and the beaches near Shanghai are not great. And there were some like pool parties every once in a while, but the summers were pretty brutal, just so humid. And I just, I'm used to just like being near the coast in the summer. So now that I work for a company based in the U S like I worked from New York all of last summer and I would go up to Massachusetts a lot on the weekends and stuff. What? Like, it still puzzles me. Like what did, what did a boy from mass, like how do you end up in Shanghai and like, did you ever think you would at like your no, life would the, end up the this thing way? Is what did you college, think you were going to do after college? I didn't. I don't know. Like yeah, because in college I never took Chinese classes and shit. I because I didn't know I would be there. I was like I actually took a lot of biology classes and then so, I started doing some like environmental science classes just because I always did well in those classes. So I was like, all right, I'll just take those. But um, yeah, it was tough. No, I mean like senior year was tough for me because it was like I, I couldn't see myself doing like a set career like at the time so I really had like no idea what I would be doing after college um, and you know like I liked making videos even back then but I never saw it as something I could be doing as a career so yeah what's it like it was tough so I was like all right I'll just fuck off to China for 10 months and figure it out there and then and then come back and find like a real career but yeah Dude, I feel like, but it did like, I was just like doing, I'd like, cause I probably was living in China for maybe four, four or five years before I started working for Barstool. So there, there was a time I just worked a bunch of like random jobs out there. He worked and, some, some white face jobs. I was right? at the point where I was like, I've been working so many random jobs out here, but I think like, I'm probably going to have to move back to the U S and just find like a more of a real job at some point. Cause like there were some people I would see in China who had clearly like there were foreigners who had been there for the past like 15 years. And that, like after a certain point, they just start to lose their mind. And I was like, fuck, I don't want to, I don't want to end up like, what do you mean by losing one of mind? those guys? Well, there were just some like sort of creepy older guys that have been there for so long. And they're just, you know, like at the bar with a prostitute and they're like running from 
their ex-wife or their family that like lives back in the UK or the US or Australia and they I don't know they're just fucking like hammered most of the time and I was like fuck I don't want to end up like one of those guys like I saw like I'll probably just have to move back to the US at some point yeah I mean I I'm happy you found the path you have because honestly like I fucking love your content again because you bring like you humanizing aspect to lands i've never been to like, yeah it, it's very I've, I've contemplated i went back and forth before uh you showed up tonight of comparing it to this but i want to compare it like Bourdain, like in that way like you you meet people you eat you drink with them and you, yeah you and share i try to story. just i try to treat people the same way i would treat them if i was back in the u.s like you don't treat them like a museum exhibit where you're like oh my god here is this chinese family look at how they live it's just you treat them like another human being because at the end of the day like humans are pretty similar wherever you go obviously they're gonna look different and like the food they eat is gonna be very different and where they live is gonna be unique but at the end of the day they're still like just human beings so if you just treat them how you would treat a human being back where you're from um you know then you end up even learning more about them than if you're just like, oh, this is like, yeah, this is an authentic foreign family, you know? Not yet. I and mean, like, again, going back to the Pongzai videos, like, like you could tell, like you were, I felt like you were having a genuine experience where you were excited that you were experiencing uh, the yeah. world through Pongzai's eyes and he was showing you his experience and then it was reciprocated where he was genuinely excited to to share that experience with you and yeah like hey we are we we are normal people like you this is what i do like yeah no and he's done a great job like he's gotten like the peasant he's gotten pretty popular on twitter he has more followers than me after only being on like the app for a few months but he's always said the same thing he's like i'm not doing this for show i'm just doing this because this is what i like to do this is my daily life and I'm really good at drinking. So like, these are the videos I like to make. And like, I'm just glad that people like, like me sharing them with them. What, what, it, what is it? Pong's eyes drinking prowess like in real per in real life. I mean, he's absurdly fast. Um, but, he, but, but he even said that like a Chinese, a Chinese government official reached out to him at one point and was like, I don't think you should keep on posting these vids online. Well, that's um, one thing in the social credit story. Like you get, yeah, so that's, you get credits for being drunk. It's scary to think like, yeah, like eventually when that system's in place, if those vids will actually hurt his social credit system. Could you and then, and then you like could Pong's say like, eye? if they had that in the U S like if my videos would be hurting my social credits, fucking it's score. coming dude. Like, yeah, it's, I mean, I'm not saying it's coming, but like if you don't pay attention, you don't fight for it. Like it could come here. Yeah. Like, like, could you imagine, like, Pong's eye? Like, again, like, he seems like a great-ass fucking dude. Like, Yes, I'd love to bring him to the U.S. at some point. Um, yeah, that's the scary thing about China, because, like, it won't affect me at all, but it would, be, it, it would be sad if it affected him, and they were just like, you need to stop. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, it, it's funny. Like, what I, when I first started to make the vids, it was almost, I was trying to do, like, a parody of a travel show. Um so it's just like, because it's like a travel host who doesn't really know a thing about where he is. I was like, if you just took a dude from the middle of Boston and plopped him down into the 
middle of China. He didn't have a fucking clue what, what was going on. That was the story behind it at first, which I'm sure most people can tell is fake by now when I said I blacked out at Logan Airport and just woke up in China. Then I've had a couple of people be like, dude, that's fucking fake because you, you need a visa to go to China. You can't just <laughs> wake up there. It's like, yeah. No shit, Sherlock. No shit. But um, yeah, so it was almost like a parody. It was like a travel show host that just knows like nothing about where he is. You know, he's just like, just like hammered and, and acting like he's still at home. Uh, but then I found like, hey, that's actually a, like, actually a pretty decent way to make people. If you're just, you know, being yourself because most people are going to then feel more comfortable being themselves as well. Yeah. And so what's like the greatest thing you've learned, like traveling the world and meeting all these Yeah, people? I guess it's just that we're not that different, you know. Um, at the end of the day, it's like uh, we enjoy a lot of the same things. Um, and so, yeah, I, I know there are people that are like afraid of travel, but... Um, I don't know. I've never seen like, like, I don't think there's that much to be afraid of. Um, cause like, even if you can't speak the same language, like you can still convey what you're trying to get across. Cause like as humans, we all feel the same emotions and shit like that. I mean, it would be weird being in one of the countries that now supposedly like hates the U S it's like, I haven't done that. Even in China, when we have like a trade war, I've never like been the subject of a lot of like anti-Americanism. I've heard it happens more up in Beijing, but I've never been like, you know, targeted out being like, fuck Americans, fuck Americans. Like that would be, that would be very intense, but uh, it's never like the people I've met. It's never really happened. No, I'm like, that's like, that's the thing. It's the thing that's, uh, frustrating about all this about like the trade war and all that it's like content like yours really drives that home is that hey we're all most of the people the middle class the lower class around the world no matter what government you're subjected to they, the same Maslow orders of needs like they, yeah. the hierarchy of needs like we still all we just want shelter family food yeah good and, times and that's been going on forever if you go back yeah. to like world war one none of like <laughs> even world war, you go back millennia. yeah but like yeah world war one such a violent horrible war none of the soldiers really knew why they were fighting Good. there was just it was it was just the governments the like the governments had a bone to pick with one of the other governments and they had all these like alliances and shit they're like oh, well i need i need to back up this country because we signed we signed an alliance but it's like now it's like oh americans and chinese or americans and middle easterns like appearance wise they look very different and then in world war one it's just like french and germans who like looked the exact same same. just murdering each other by the millions yeah and but maybe maybe we can end it on a a good note here yeah but that isn't don't you think modern times like a war like that would not be yeah possible because people can get on social media and be like whoa whoa, whoa." yeah most of us are are the same yeah it is weird to see it's like i don't people World War Three was trending in recently, but yeah, I don't. It's weird. Like, can you ever see there being like another world no. war? I've said this many times. Like, I think Syria, two thousand twelve, when John Kerry was trying to bomb Syria after the quote unquote like chemical attacks. Yeah. I I legit remember like the uh, the conversation around social media getting to a point where it was like, "Don't do this, don't do this," and I honestly think 
the social media backlash is the reason we didn't bomb Syria in 2012. And yeah, um, going forward, I think that it will uh, s- serve the same curbing uh, uh, use case as it did back then. Yeah, yeah, for yeah, no, I agree. I think like there's always going to be some proxy wars, but. I don't know if I can see there being like a world war no. again. It's not worth it. We've come too far. No. Right? Yeah. It's, uh, we've come too far. Yeah. We're too interconnected at this point. Like, mm-hmm. why fuck it up at this point? Donnie, thank you for what you do, man. And thanks for having me on the podcast. Dude, I appreciate it. I just... I'll let you know if uh, by next fall if I move back to New York. Yeah. I just blew up 100 minutes of your life. I appreciate it, man. My pleasure, man. Uh, do you have a parting note for any of the freaks? Where can we find you? Uh, um, it's the Wonton Don on YouTube. On Twitter, it's Donnie Does World. On Instagram, it's also the Wonton Don. And um, yeah, we got my Zimbabwe videos dropping first Tuesday after the Super Bowl. Yeah, we're going to see uh, Donnie in a river with some hippopotamus. Yes. Hippopotami. Hippopotami. I was not super close. Everybody thought I was going to die. You'll see. I think I was safe enough. All right. Tune in to check out or to find out. Peace and love, freaks.